want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 52. Our scripture reading will begin in verse 13 and we'll go to the end of chapter 53. This is our last servant song here in Isaiah, servant song 4, probably the most well-known of the four servant songs, Isaiah chapter 53 in particular. It's a glorious chapter that we can't do justice to this morning. Um, Reverend Kern helped me in organizing my thoughts around this chapter and even still after working through it and organizing a sermon you feel the weight in this kind of chapter of how far your words fall short of the riches and the glory that is described here of Jesus in Isaiah 53 but we trust that God will bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts you'll notice there in verse 13 it opens up with the same word that that opened the first servant song that word behold and we get these great bookends from the first servant song and the final servant song to behold God's servant once again. And so let's do that now as we read God's word. Beginning in verse 13, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up he shall be, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and for his generation, who considered, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sins of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. 
Amen. May he bless it to our hearts this morning. Well, what do you need saving from this Christmas season? That might seem like a bit of an odd question to ask. Perhaps some of us come to church feeling like we don't really need to be saved from anything in particular. But everyone wants to be saved from something. You know, for, for most people, what we want to be saved from is bad circumstances in life. We want to be saved from a dead-end job, a broken marriage, maybe a certain illness, financial instability, old age, and the list goes on. For the Jewish people in Jesus' day, they believed God would send into the world a Messiah and a Savior, and they even believed for a time that Jesus of Nazareth was that Savior. But the problem was they viewed their need as too low, and they looked for a wrong kind of Savior. Their assessment of what they needed from God was too shallow, and so they expected God to send a Savior, but one who would simply fix all of their bad circumstances. Now, beloved, Jesus is a Savior who is concerned about justice in this world, oppression, poverty, broken societies, and broken people. Now, this is not what he came to fix, first and foremost, because at the root of broken societies, at the root of broken marriages, at the root of broken families, at the root of broken people is sin. Sin is at the heart of our issue between God and man and between man and his fellow men. And so the key question kind of looming behind Isaiah is this, how can all of these glorious promises of God come true for sinful people? How can a holy God really and truly bless sinful people like you and like me? And the angel said to Joseph, Matthew 1, 21, Mary will bring forth a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And here in Isaiah chapter 53, hundreds of years before Jesus' birth, we read about the kind of Savior that he is. He is the Lord who became the servant to deliver us from our greatest need. And again, we can't do justice to all of Isaiah 53 this morning, but we want to consider these three things about Jesus from Isaiah 53. First, his surprising appearance. Second, his personal anguish. And third, his ultimate aim. First, beloved, we're told here in Isaiah 52 and 53 about Christ's surprising appearance. Maybe you are here as a child or as a visitor learning about Jesus for the first time. Let me tell you a little bit about him from Isaiah. The first thing that we're told about Jesus is that when he came into this world, it was surprising. What do we expect when we see kings travel today, our presidents, our prime ministers? We expect to see a lot of pomp and show, right? Roll out the red carpet secure the perimeters, prepare a proper welcome for the king. Indeed, the Jews were looking forward to a Messiah who would be outwardly glorious, right? A man who would come and fix the issues of the day, right? Drive out those Romans, establish the moral law of God on the land, make the people of Israel, make them great again in the world. And Jesus' appearing was surprisingly humble. He wasn't born inside of a great castle, with lots of attention on him. 
My wife, you know, is a big fan of the British uh, royal family, always has been. And I can remember when now the Princess of Wales, Kate Middleton, was in labor with her third child, Prince Louis. And everyone was outside, you know, waiting for the arrival of the new baby. They were ready to welcome the family. And we were in Canada and we were live streaming, you know, this event with hundreds of thousands of people around the world. And when the family finally came outside with Prince Louis, right, all the crowds greeted them and cheered and there was an extravagant and glorious welcome. Not so with the Son of God. When the creator of this world entered into the creation that he made, the crowds weren't there to meet him. Kings did not come and give him a royal welcome. There wasn't even a comfortable room prepared for the king of kings. There wasn't even a nice bed that he could sleep in. But the son of God was born within a lonely hillside in the town of Bethlehem. Moreover, in the words of songwriter Andrew Peterson, on the night that Jesus was born, it was not a silent night. Indeed, it was an ordinary, stressful, messy night of childbirth for Mary. She had no mother's hand to hold. She had no doulas. She had no midwives. She just had Joseph at her side. It was probably an uncomfortable and overwhelming time for dear Mary. And indeed, on the night that Jesus was born, you couldn't find him wrapped in a purple robe, lying on a golden bed within a castle. But again, he was wrapped in filthy rags, and he was laid in the place where animals eat their food. God in human flesh, coming so low. Moreover, Isaiah tells us not only was his appearing so humble, but his appearance, how he looked, was so ordinary, verse 2. He was not outwardly very glorious. You know, I love the, the Christmas hymn, Silent Night, but Isaiah would not agree with one line in it. There were no radiant beams shining from his holy face. No, he was truly man. And Isaiah said he had no form or majesty that we should adore him. You know, we often judge people, don't we, by their outward appearance. Israel of old, you remember, they wanted King Saul to be their king. Why? Because he was handsome. He was tall. He was strong. He looked like the kind of king that they should have. As God says, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. We're easily enamored by pretty people. We like to watch their lives on TV. Well, Jesus, beloved God in human flesh, wouldn't have made it on the cover of Men's Health. He wouldn't have been in GQ magazine. He was ordinary in his appearance. And throughout his life, he didn't live the glamorous and sexy life that, you know, people would want to follow on social media. He didn't draw lots of attention to himself and build the platform by wielding all of his power. He was humble in his appearance, like a root out of a stump, Isaiah says. This ordinary thing coming in this unlikely place. And this is why Isaiah begins chapter 53 saying this, Who has believed our report? Right? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Who would believe that God's salvation would come in this way? Why such a humble appearance? Well, beloved, Jesus' humble entrance into this world tells us about his mission. 
And that's what we see secondly here in Isaiah. His humble appearance tells us about his mission. And here we read of Christ's personal anguish. Again, as the servant songs unfold, there are certain details that have been withheld from us. But now that we get to this final servant song, we see the details and character of our servant Jesus. We see more of his sufferings. And what would mark the life of Jesus? First, verse 3 and 4, we read of rejection. He was rejected and he was despised. Other synonyms for despised and rejected are discarded, abandoned, cut off, detested, and loathed. Have you ever been passed over for something? Kids, maybe when people are picking teams on the playground, maybe you were looked over, maybe you were passed over. Or adults, maybe you were passed over for a promotion. And people didn't take you seriously and they looked at someone else. People passed over Jesus, we're told. But even worse, we're told that they despised him. In other words, they looked down their nose at him. Verse 3, we read, men hid their faces from him. You know what it's like to you know, be driving on the road and to be at a stoplight and, and you see that needy person right on the side of the road. Right? And what do you do sometimes? Maybe you pretend they're not there. Right? You turn your face away. You hide your face from them, right? You ignore them. That's what people did to Jesus. Jesus was looked at as one of those disposable members of society that had no value. Isaiah says rejection marked his life, and verse 3, so did suffering. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As we sang, man of sorrows, what a name, for the Son of God who came. He was a man acquainted with grief. And this was not only grief that he would experience at the cross, but all throughout his life, he was acquainted with suffering. Suffering in his body and suffering in his soul. Even when he was born, beloved, you remember the persecution that surrounded his birth when King Herod had those children killed. But part of the reason Jesus took on human flesh is that so he could suffer for humans, body and soul. We read here in chapter 53 of some of the suffering that he experienced in his body. We read here of him being pierced, which happened through his hands and through his feet when he was nailed to the cross. We read here of the lashings he endured. Indeed, beloved, his bodily afflictions were so great that Isaiah 52, verse 14 says his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. In other words, Jesus was beaten to a pulp, right? So much so that when he finally died there at the cross, you could barely recognize him as a human being. Suffered in his body, and he suffered in his soul. Isaiah here speaks in verse 10, the Lord has put him to grief. And notice this, his soul making an offering for guilt. Jesus felt in his inward man the anxiety of the cross. He experienced as a human being a feeling of being abandoned by God, forsaken by God. He, he, he suffered in his very being, in his heart as a man, that hellish torment that we would feel 
if we were under the justice of God. Finally, it wasn't only rejection and suffering that Jesus went through, but finally he tasted death. Verse 9, the Lord put him to grief and his grave was made with the wicked. Isaiah says, although he was innocent, he died like a criminal. Although he did no wrong, he suffered like a wrongdoer. And why? Isaiah says it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. And so think about this. In summary, the life of Jesus would require intense suffering, rejection, betrayal, public humiliation, and death in the most awful way. Who, in their right mind, would willingly come to this earth and sign up for a life like this? Right, if you were in charge of your life and you could map out your days here on earth, I'm guessing you would not map out your days like this. But here's the good news, dear friends. The Son of God who has only enjoyed fellowship with the Father and the Holy Spirit from all of eternity, he willingly signed up for this life. He willingly took upon this life as a man of sorrows. Why? He did it for you and for me. He did it to bring glory to his holy name so that by his stripes you might be healed. And connected with this second point is our third point. They're together. And this is the third point, his purposeful aim, which we're going to think about a little bit more. What was his aim? What was his goal, this servant? Why do we need this kind of Savior who will go through such awful suffering? It's because of verse 6. Verse 6 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Beloved, we won't appreciate the meaning of Christmas. We won't appreciate the cross until we first understand the fallen human condition. And it's this, we have been alienated by God because of our sin, and we are lost sheep. Again, when Jesus came to earth, there were lots of issues he could have dealt with head on. There was persecution of God's people, political oppression, heavy taxes, oppression of the poor, lack of justice in the land. But verse 6 tells us of the core issue, beloved, all we like sheep have gone astray. Here's a verse that unites all of humanity together. doesn't matter your ethnic background, how much money you make, your skin color, your gender, your age. Here's a verse that marks every one of us. We are all sheep who wander from God. In this comparison to sheep, it's, it's humbling, right? Because sheep are not known for being very smart creatures. They can be so foolish. One actual shepherd puts it like this. A sheep could have the best shepherd who could have brought them to the best grazing lands near an abundant supply of water and they will still wander away where the fields are barren and the water is undrinkable. And if a sheep wanders off from the rest of the herd, it will have a hard, if not impossible time finding its way back. And that is what we do, beloved. We wander from God's pleasant pastures. We find ourselves in the ditch. Who of us here this morning could say, I have never wandered from God? None of us, right? We have all thought things about others that were wrong. We have said things out of frustration and anger and annoyance that we are ashamed of. Again, as we confessed our sins, we have done those things which we ought not to have done, and we left undone those things which we should have done. 
Every day of our lives, we stray from God in some way. And why do we go astray? Verse 6 tells us not only the action of going astray, but it actually tells us why. We have gone each one to his own way. In other words, we don't like authority over us. We want to go our own way. Have you ever heard a child say to their mom or dad, Mom or dad, I think I just need more rules in my life. I think I just need you to, you know, give me more regulations. I want you to use more of your authority because you know what's best for me. Right? No way. From the earliest of ages, we want to call the shots. We want to choose our bedtime. We want to choose what we eat for dinner. We want to choose our curfew. And the list goes on. And even as adults, right, we push against authority because we want to do what we want and when we want. No one should tell me what to do with my life. Beloved, we all struggle with this. We insist on our own way. We don't like boundaries that we have not set up for ourselves. We don't like people contradicting our opinions. We like control, even if that control is killing us and making us exhausted and burned out in the end. This is the dark backdrop behind Christmas. We have all strayed from the living God. and We are lost sheep. Children, if God were like Santa Claus, he would simply make his list and check it twice to find out who's naughty and nice. And guess what? Everybody would be on the naughty list. No presents for anybody because we've all been bad and we've all sinned. But Christmas declares this good news. God came into this world to give the greatest gift of all, to people who did not deserve it. He gave to us Jesus to meet our greatest need. And you see that in verse 6 as well. It's really a beautiful summary of all of this. We have gone astray. We've gone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What was Christ's aim when he came to earth? He came to bear our sin. All of our wandering, all of our strain, all of our transgressing of God's good boundaries, Jesus took the punishment for. Think about this. He was not a man of sorrows because that was simply his personality. He was not a man of sorrows because he was just a man prone to depression or anxiety. No, Jesus was a man of sorrows and he was acquainted with grief because he was taking upon himself our sorrows in our sin, in our burdens. Verse 4, surely he has borne our grief and carried our sorrows. And that imagery there is Jesus taking off, our, uh, taking off the burdens from our shoulders, bearing them by putting them on his own shoulders. And so throughout his life, beloved, it was our guilt It was our burdens, it was our sicknesses, it was our sin that weighed him down every day. It was not his own wrongdoing. And that's why verse 5 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement that brought us peace was upon him, so that by his stripes we are healed. Jesus came, and instead of increasing our sorrows, he carried them. Instead of crushing us for our wrongdoing, he was crushed for us. Instead of rejecting us forever, he was rejected 
so that we can be accepted by God. And he was born for this kind of life so that by his stripes, you might be healed, that you might know peace with God this morning. His aim, beloved, was not only to remove our guilt, but look at verse 11. He also came to make us righteous. He shall justify many, for he will bear their iniquities. What good news. He came not only to remove guilt from us, but he lived that perfect life that we're called to live, starting as a baby, so that he might cover us in his perfect righteousness, so that God could look down from heaven at you today and say, you're not only forgiven of your sins, but you are righteous in my sight. How do we know this is all true? How do we know this morning that there really is someone who could take away the guilt that we feel? It's because the will of God was not only to send Jesus to die, but it was the will of the Lord that he would be prospered again. Verse 10. God would prolong his days, we're told. And in verse 11, we read, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. You see that? Christ would see that his suffering was effectual to bring many lost sheep back home. Because on the third day, he would be raised again from the dead, conquering sin, conquering death, conquering hell. Yes, Jesus felt sorrow in his soul for a time. But do you know what King Jesus feels today? According to Isaiah, you know what Jesus feels as the God-man when sheep come home to God? Verse 11, he feels satisfaction. Jesus is satisfied having done the will of his Father. Beloved, Jesus is satisfied and filled with joy when lost sheep come home. This is the call of God to this world. This is the call of God to you today. That if you recognize this morning that you are a sheep that strays from God, that if you have been following your own way, living as the Lord of your own life, God calls you to himself today. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed from God. It doesn't matter how, how long you've been wandering. Jesus welcomes you back today based upon his finished work and he welcomes you with joy and with satisfaction. Know today that if you come to Jesus, he will not reject you. He will not despise you. He will not turn his face away from you because he came into this world to suffer, to suffer in the place of sinners like you and me. If we don't come to Jesus, if we refuse this Savior, then we will carry on our own shoulders the weight of our own sin and our own guilt. But if we will come to Jesus and cry out to him today to be that good shepherd who will lead our lives, forgive our sins, then he will take those burdens off of our shoulders that we can know joy and peace with God. Again, beloved, the angel said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. When you look into the manger at Christmas, you see God in human flesh. You see the King of kings, Lord of lords, the Lord of life. 
but in that manger, beloved, you also see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. A Lamb that was born, that man no more may die. This Christmas season, beloved, receive the greatest gift of God, the Lord Jesus himself, given freely to people who don't deserve it. Receive him and know God's peace. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, this morning we confess that the good news of the Advent season seems too good to be true. It's hard for us to believe that you find satisfaction and joy in wandering sheep like us. But Lord, you have proven your love for us as we look into the manger and see Christ coming down to save us. We see your love and your justice displayed at the cross where Jesus took upon our sin. And we see all of your promises secured in the empty tomb. And so, Lord, we believe that Jesus alone is the Savior of this world. Help us to believe that you love us as much as you say you do in the gospel. And for those who are here today feeling the weight of their sin and guilt, enable them by the power of your Holy Spirit to return home to the shepherd and overseer of their souls, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant to each one of us that assurance that he will not cast us out. And hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, our song of response is a song.